Um, we are passionate about um, people um, being fully plugged in here at the Mission Church. And so um, if you want to join a community group, we're actually going to have a few of the community groups share at the end of this service. But if you're not connected to a community group, we'd love for you to um, jump into one. We have 10 different groups. Again, you can find those online and look through them and find the group that fits best for you. And the other thing is this. Some of you are um, not members but might be interested in becoming members. Um, our membership class is more of a, a, a one-on-one or a, a two-on-two type of thing where um, you would meet with me and a couple of our elders, whether it's in person or over Zoom. And we just talk through what does it mean to be a member of a church here, specifically at the Mission Church. So if you're interested in either hearing more about um, becoming a member or becoming a member, um, again, you can either... Check the box on your connection card, or you can fill out an online connection. Uh, fill out an online connection card um, and signify that. Two other things I'm really excited about. One is we are doing baptisms. We are initially going to do them the 26th because that's our 10-year anniversary. Uh, but I was just told recently um, by the church that is so graciously letting us meet here that um, it takes a few days for the pool to warm up, which those who are getting in the pool probably really appreciate. Um, and so they're not able to do that weekend. So we're going to be moving baptisms um, to the beginning of October. October 3rd is a Sunday. So it, whether you or if you have kids that are in that season um, that are talking about being baptized, we'd love to walk through that with you. In fact, after the message, I'm going to go and talk with the older kids about just what baptism means. And so if you have parent, if you're a parent of older kids, you might um, have a conversation conversation on the way home about baptisms. Um, so one last thing, um, we had our special offering last, the last Sunday in August, really all August you could give, and the special offering was going towards our local mission efforts of Olive Crest and Vision House, and then uh, a good portion of it, 70% of the um, of the special offering goes towards Impact a Life. They're doing incredible things. Um, maybe one of the things that they're most excited about, or at least I'm most excited about, is they are in the process of building a school for the about middle school ages. Um, so they don't have, they don't offer school for that age, and so it's a Christian school, and so they're in the process of building that. And so um, part of these funds will go towards that. So I wanted to announce to you guys what the special offering total um, is or was that came out of it. Now, give me a good old-fashioned drum roll, please. Da -da 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 -da. All right, so praise God. We saw $24,560.25. not that amazing? So thank you. Thank you so much for your guys' generosity. Um, over the next probably month or so, um, we'll have Impact of Life come and share and just give you, again, just an update on what God is doing there and talk about how this is impacting our local and global mission. So really excited. Thank you again for that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into them. We are in the book of Philippians. It is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11, and um, this book resonates with me personally tremendously for a couple of reasons. One, um, Paul planted this church. Paul started this church. The other thing is this, that, that Paul is writing to this church, and this church, as he writes this 
letter, this church is 10 years old. And so here we are, 10 years old as a church. Um, And what Paul, really the passage we're looking at um, this evening is Paul begins to share his heart and his prayer for this local church. Um, one of the things that we're going to do next week and, and the following week, and so next week we're doing a night of worship and prayer. Um, we are moving our service time to 5 p.m. Um, because there's an event here that um, made us move to a later time. But one of the things that we're going to do in our time of worship and prayer and then the Sunday after that is we're in the process of putting together this board. We're even going to do like this video where we want to invite anybody at the Mission Church just to share um, two things. One, what has God done in your life or through your life? What have you seen God do in your life here at the Mission Church? Um, But the question maybe I'm most excited about, other than just hearing what God has done and celebrating that, but the other question that we're going to ask is, what is it that your heart is longing, or what is your prayer for what God would do in and through you here at the Mission Church? Like what, if you had, could paint, maybe just close your eyes here, let's get weird for a second, close your eyes and think for a moment, what would be your heart in your prayer for this church? I mean, if you could think about it, if you could maybe, if you were to name some things or, or, or say some things about it, I wonder, what, I wonder what you would describe. Now, you could open your eyes. You don't have to keep them closed this whole time, though it might end the service with some eyes closing. But really what we're about ready to walk through is, is the Apostle Paul, his heart, his prayer, his vision for this faith family he's writing to. And it resonates with me because so much of what Paul says here, it is my heart and my prayer for us as a local church. And so in verse 6, the Apostle Paul starts off and and he says this. He says, um, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Everybody say, the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, here's what Paul is speaking about. Paul is speaking about um, the past, present, and future work of what God has done, is doing, and is to do in this church. And he starts off by reminding them of the good work that God had done in each and every single one of their lives. And what he is referring to when he says, he who began a good work in you, is he is referring to the work God did in bringing each of these people to salvation. It's as if Paul is saying, I want you to reflect and remember. Remember when you got saved? Remember when God turned your heart to him? Do do you guys remember that day? Think about that for a moment. Maybe you have a little bit of a story like mine. I've got a story where I was very young, five, six years old, when my mom shared the gospel with me. And, and, and I had this head knowledge of it, but I'm not sure I had quite a hard no, heart knowledge of it. And I remember praying this prayer and, and, and 
and making this commitment to Christ at a very young age. But it wasn't till I was just before I was 19, 18 years old. And that was the moment I was saved. I knew Jesus, but I was just kind of like kind of walking. I don't know if any of you have that story. We're just kind of walking with the Lord, at least when it's most convenient for you. And in many ways, by the grace of God and the grace of the church, like I was able to like totally not fumble my salvation, if you will. And, and, and I was 18, almost 19, and I finally came to the point where I just said, Jesus, I just want to surrender everything I have to you. I just want to live for you no matter what, because my way is not going that well. And it was as if God did this good work in my heart where just like my affections flipped upside down, where I longed and desired to be in the word. I longed and desired Christ like never, ever before. And Paul is saying, remember God did that good work in your heart. And it wasn't you and I who did it, right? It was God who did it. We can't work for our salvation. Christ has already done the work for us. And so he's reminding them, remember the good work that God did, that he began in you. But, but then he goes on and he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now, some translations um, translated will carry it out to completion. As, in other words, Paul is not just saying, remember the good work God did in your life when you got saved. But I want you to remember that God is actually at work in your life right here, right now. Did do you... How often do you think about that? How often do you think about that God is at work in your life right now? How often do you think, like you wake up in the morning, are you thinking, God, you're going to do a work? Or how about now? Do you believe that maybe God wants to do a work in your life even in this moment? And, and Paul is reminding of that. He who began a good work in you, he is bringing it. He is carrying it. He has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life, a hope for your life. God has a calling for your life. In fact, the most common description of a saint or a believer in the New Testament is the refrain called. Believers are called. You are called. And Paul, but here's where he's going. He, he's not just talking about the past work. He's not just talking about the present work. But notice he says, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. That word can be translated. He will bring it to perfection. In other words, God is not done with you, Right? God is still at work in you. And even the work that he's doing in you now, it's still not complete. You are going somewhere. And sometimes I wonder if we think, I know this was me at least for several years throughout my childhood. It's like, well, I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. I prayed the prayer, so I've arrived. I've, I've been brought. I've completed. I've crossed the finish line. And Paul's going, no, 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 there's more. There's more. A little illustration, I can't help to give it because one of my hobbies is triathlon. In fact, you can cheer a couple of people on. Lexi, I didn't even know you were doing triathlon. Thanks to, <laughs> neither did she. Um, uh, but Becca, she did, Becca, who's 
um, does some of our children's work and our admin work. She's downstairs serving our kids right now. She did a triathlon, and, and I, I love triathlons. But the last one I did, it was back in June, and swimming is not my forte by any means at all. And so I was just, I wanted to have a 30-minute time for the, the, the swim that I was doing, and I wanted it so bad. And so I go do the swim, but here's the thing. Like running, biking, you can check your watch at any time, see if you're making progress. Not swimming, that's not good form. You know, you know looking at your watch as you're swimming. And I get out of the water, and I look at my watch, and I'm just under 30 minutes. And listen, I didn't go, whoo, completion, I'm done. I finished. I got what I wanted. No, I, I still got a long bike ahead of me, and I still have a long run ahead of me. And Paul, again and again, uses this language of racing, uses this language of, of running, of, of completion, that, that, listen, God is seeking to bring you to the finish line. There, there's, you're not just done with the swim. You're not just done by, I trusted in Jesus, that's it. There's more to do. And he says, he says specifically that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. This is the finish line. Now, what is the day of Jesus Christ? What does Paul mean by the day of Jesus Christ? He's going to make reference to the day of Jesus Christ in verse 11. He's going to make reference to the day of Jesus over and over and over again in all of his letters. And whenever he refers to the day of Christ or the day of Jesus, or sometimes it's just referred to as the day, it's spoken of as like this ultimate finish line. And that's what he is calling them to, to the ultimate finish line, which is the day of Christ Jesus. But what is this day? We get glimpses of it in, in Philippians specifically. In Philippians 2, um, Paul talks about one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth to Jesus Christ. This is what's going to happen on that day. Every person, believer and unbeliever alike, will bow their knee to Jesus. Um, the end of chapter 3, it talks about how at the end, Jesus will come back, and that's what the day of Christ is referring to. Jesus is second coming, every knee is going to bow, but it talks about how our lowly bodies will be transformed and be like his glorious bodies. We'll dive much deeper into that when we get to the end of chapter 3. But, but what, it's, what Paul is talking about is, there is going to be a day Jesus is going to come back and every knee will bow and praise him. But our bodies, which there's some young people here and your body's working well enough. I don't know about some of you. My, my knees are starting to hurt or you get sick or maybe some of you have parents and, and, and they're struggling with their health. We will all have these glorious bodies completely made new. And in Revelation 21, we are given this picture where Jesus says, I will make a new heaven and I will make a new earth. By the way, when, when Jesus comes back and the day of Christ happens, we all don't just go to heaven and live up 
in heaven. Revelation 21 says, no, no, no. Jesus is coming here and he is making a new heaven and a new earth in which we dwell upon. And there's no tears. There's no, there's no fear. There's no sin. There's no sickness. Everything is made new. And that's where we live for eternity. And Paul's going, that's the finish line. That day. But one other thing that Paul talks about when it comes to the day of Christ Jesus is in Romans and in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. That, that one of the things that will happen on the day of Christ Jesus is we will all stand before Jesus. Look at um, 2 Corinthians 5.10 with me. This is a verse worth memorizing. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now he says, we must all. Who, who's the we that Paul is talking to? In, current, in the church in Corinth here, is he speaking to unbelievers or believers? Believe, say it with me. Believers. So when you read Revelation 20, there's the judgment of the great white throne. And it talks about, you know, like Hades and hell and the fire and peoples whose names are not written in the book of life. And it's, and it's this final white throne judgment where those who have rejected Christ and said, I want nothing to do with Jesus, will get exactly what they have asked for. They will have nothing to do with Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, your name is not written in the book of life. Your, your sins were not covered. You rejected the free gift of salvation. Okay, you will get what you want. You will spend eternity apart from me. When Paul is talking about the judgment seat of Christ, he's not talking about that judgment seat. So we, don't, we, we shouldn't read about the judgment seat of Christ and go, uh-oh, I'm nervous. The judgment seat of Christ are those who are in Christ. For those whose sins are forgiven. For those whose righteousness has been imputed to them. Given to them because they've trusted in Christ. Look at the rest of this verse. It says, before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each may receive. As if it's a reward. This is reward language. That each will receive what is due. What he has done in the body. That is the flesh whether good or evil. Now that word, that Greek word for evil is a little tricky. The NIV translates it, translates it bad. The idea here is not like evil as in terms of like Satan or the devil as much as it's, it's worthless. That, that at the day of Christ Jesus... Jesus will make all things new. We, our lowly bodies will turn into glorious bodies. We will have these resurrected bodies that will be like Christ. And then we will stand before Jesus. In the language it says here is we will each stand before Christ and receive. We will receive what is due. Whether good or worthless. And the Apostle Paul is reminding this church, this is the finish line worth living for. Live for the finish line in which you will stand before Jesus. And what you've done 
Christ will reward. It's not wasted. May we be reminded that Paul is in prison. Or may we be reminded of people like John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He's like my age. Or younger than my age. And he's beheaded in prison. You ever read that story and go, that's messed up. Like, just like that, just like that, boom, head chopped off. Because Herod's stepdaughter danced for him promiscuously and was so pleased, not a good pleased, by the way. And she said, you know what I want? I, I, I want John the Baptist. I want his head on a platter. Do you ever read that story and just go, what? And Paul is saying, that was not wasted. That moment of faithfulness, that moment of sacrifice, not wasted one bit. John the Baptist will stand before Jesus and receive what is due him. That good. And listen, some, some of us suffer a lot more than others. You ever notice that? Some of us suffer for Christ way more than others. I was just talking with, um, on Thursday morning, the guys group that I meet with, and he was telling me um, that, uh, I think it was an article he was reading, but he was talking about a church in Afghanistan, an underground church in Afghanistan. With everything that's going on, they realized we are going to be hunted and maybe killed. And the children in this house church, just imagine this, those of you with kids, the children in this house church came to their parents and said, we, we know what could happen and we will not deny Christ. <clears throat> Taliban came, killed everybody in the church. And Paul is saying, that's not the finish line. The day you stand before Jesus, that's the finish line. And all of that is worth it. And it made me think, here's the question I've been pondering all week long. What finish lines am I living for? What finish lines are you living for? Because if I can be honest, moment to be honest, feel free to judge me. You can forgive me, though. You're required to. I have it in my heart like, Lord, if we just grow to this much, then we've, then we've reached the finish line. God, if we just plant another church, then we've reached the finish line. God, if we just see these many baptisms or these many salvations, then we've reached the finish line. I don't know what your finish line is. Maybe it's if I just have this job or if I just move up to this level in the company or if we just save this much for retirement or if we just move into this kind of house or if we just get our kids to this place or if we just have this kind of lifestyle or if we just have, I mean, think about it. What finish lines are you living for? And Paul is saying there's one finish line. There's one finish line that matters. And it's the one in which we stand before Christ and give an account to our life.
This doesn't mean that we get rid of every hobby. Well, that's, you know, God's not going to care anything about, you know, what place I took in a triathlon, which might be a good thing because, you know, you're not going to finish that well anyways if you're someone like me. Or we give up things like watching television. God doesn't care about television. Or, or we can go through the list of all these things that we would think God doesn't care about. And, and it's not that as much as it is it now gives us clarity on how we do all of those things. Okay, in light of this being the finish line, how does that change the way that you're a father or the way that you're a mother? In light of the fact that this is the finish line, standing before Jesus, how does that change the way that you handle your money? The, the fact that this is the true finish line, how does that change the things you watch on TV or how you watch the things how does this change the conversations you have with your coworkers? I just go on and on and on, right? But, but my question to you is this. What finish lines are you living for? This is the only one that matters. And for Paul, it gave him a tremendous amount of hope. Because if you looked at his life, he hadn't gone very far. He is in prison, locked up. I mean, you talk about a guy who can't do anything at all. The irony is that Paul's time in prison was actually probably some of the most effective time of his whole entire ministry. And he never, ever knew it until 2,000 years later or reading this letter that he wrote in prison and maybe otherwise wouldn't have written if he wasn't in prison. So what finish lines are you living for? Can you imagine what kind of church we would be if we said, that's the only finish line that matters. Standing before Jesus in my new glorious body and receiving all the ways that I was faithful, even though it cost me. Now, the rest of this passage, I think, moves quickly because much of it is connected. But there's a sense when you read verse 6, you, you desire that. I mean, I, I, just give me an amen if you desire to live for this finish line. Amen? amen? More than anything. But here's the thing. It's one thing to desire to live for this finish line. It's another to have the power and the perseverance to do it. Right? Because this is really hard. The Christian life is really, really hard. And Jesus, it's not like, you know, he fooled us by any means. Like, he, he wasn't trying to sell anything. Jesus is like, hey, if, if you come follow me, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me daily. Like, that's, that's Jesus' vision of the Christian life. This is not easy. But the rest of this passage, I think, gives us a glimpse of how we have the power and how we have the perseverance to do this, to live for this finish line. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's three short things I want to point out. First is he 
for the first time, makes a note of his imprisonment in this letter. Like I said, Paul has been in prison for four years for preaching the gospel. And he's in prison. It's worth noting that Paul had been in prison before this. And God miraculously delivered him out of prison. But what I want you to see is Paul has been in prison for four years. He'd been delivered from prison before. And yet you don't hear Paul once whining or complaining. You never hear him once getting cynical. Never once he's like, well, you know. This is the plan that God has for my life. If this is the work that God has for my life to sit in this prison, then what kind of God am I worshiping? You never hear any bit of that cynicism, nor do you hear a sense of fear or even discouragement. Rather, this, this, this book is filled with more references to joy than any of the other books that he reads. 16 times he uses the word joy, 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 rejoice, rejoice. I mean, he is this happy, happy Christian. How did he get that way? Well, one, he knew the finish line he was living for. He knew that God was using it for good. But it wasn't just that. There was something else that carried Paul through the suffering and hardships and difficulties that brought him through this race to the ultimate finish line with such joy. For one, it was Christ, but the other was the body of Christ. It was the local church. Look at the language that he uses. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I want you to try this on for size. After church, I want you to go, guys especially, go to another guy and say, I long for you. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I know you're not going to do that, though I dare. You can do it to me. But does that not strike you? Who says that? You know who says that? Someone who understood he could not fight this battle on his own. Someone who knew he could not finish this race alone. Somebody who knew that one day he was going to stand before Jesus and it was really hard to get there. I remember um, one of the triathlons I did year and a half, two years ago now, and um, the race finished with a 13-mile run. So I just got done doing 58 miles of biking, and if you're like, wow, that's a lot, it felt like a lot, and it was 90 degrees out, and I go on the run, and the first six miles go okay, and then for the next six miles, I'm trying my best to just keep things down. I am just sick. I'm walking. I'm jogging. I'm walking. And it's so discouraging. At certain points, I'm verbally saying out loud, why am I even doing this? And some of you are going, yeah, really? Why would you do that? It's, it's weird. I can't explain it. You have to do one yourself. But I get to the last mile and my, bone, my, my muscles are just, they can't go. And this guy passes me. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-uh. And he passes me. I'm like, I have to stay with him. And I run 
And I'm doing everything just to stay on this guy's heels. It's as if like there's a rope tied around his waist and I'm hanging on. And I'm just, it's like he's pulling me. And we get to the finish line and we're both gassed. And I said to him, like, you would think I'd be mad. Be like, you know, instead of taking 100th place, I took 101th place. You know, it's not like I'm even close to podium or anything like that. I'm not mad at him. I'm like, buddy, I want to tell you that if it wasn't for you, I'd still be back there. And he looked at me and said, if it wasn't for you, I'd still be back there. And the race of this life is so hard, isn't it? We need one another to pull us along. And Paul is saying, I just, I long for you. I have these deep affections for you. And, and the, and Before this, he says, um, you are partakers with me of this grace. And he's talking about the grace of the gospel. And when he's talking about this affection he has for them, he's talking about the nature of the affection and also the depth of the affection. When he says the affection of Christ Jesus. And what he's saying is my affection for you, it's not based upon some shared hobby we have. My affection for you, it's not based upon some shared football team we love to root for. You have those friendships, right? They are solely based on a vocation or a hobby or a TV show. It's the only thing you talk about. And Paul's going, this relationship I have with you, it is based on Christ and Christ alone. But he's also speaking about the depth of his relationship he has with him. He says, I long for you with the with." The affection of Christ. Like my affections don't even express it. It's the affection of Christ. That's what I long for. But here's the part I love. Verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you. Do you have people in your life that feel that way about you and you feel that way about them? Where your whole entire friendship and relationship is driven towards finishing, getting to that line of completion before Jesus together. Imagine a church that said, that is our collective finish line. That's what we are living for. And we're going to do it together. And that's what Paul understood. He understood, I need this church and they need me. Every Thursday morning, I meet with a small group of guys, anywhere from three to eight guys. Sometimes it's a little bit larger than that. And our time is very simple. We pray for each other. We open up scripture and read a very short passage and just talk about how, how, how the Holy Spirit is using that passage and what God is teaching us in our lives and, and every single Thursday, it never ceases to amaze me, every single Thursday morning when I'm done with it, I feel more empowered to run the race towards that finish line than ever before. And I'm reminded I can't do this on my own. And nor can you, right? We need one another. This is why we need community. And Paul continues and, and speaks about the nature of, 
of this church. They're, they're yearning for each other. They have deep affections for one another. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Love is not static. It's not, love is not something you possess, but love is something that abounds more and more. You continually grow in love. It's not like I love my wife, okay? I, I have this love for you and that's all you get. No, true love, right? It abounds more and more. He's, he's saying, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, what is the object of this love? Is this love for Christ or is this love for the local church, for one another? And the answer is, is both. I'm praying that your love for, for one another will just keep going and going and going. But your love would be something that has knowledge. And something that has discernment. And the word picture is this. That the local church, we wouldn't just like have these shallow relationships. Oh yeah, I love you, bro. I love you. How are, and we just talk about like how our day is or how our work is. That we would truly know each other. That we would, we would be so vulnerable with one another. That we could discern and have insight of what's going on in each other's life. I know I need that. I need people to say, Zach, how are you really doing? How's your soul? Is there any sin in your life that you need to repent of? I, I, that's the kind of abounding love I need. And Paul's going, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our church. And he says, so that, so this is what will happen if you have this, so that you may approve what is excellent. And this, this, this Greek word for excellent, it, it, it lends itself towards a translation of not just what's good, but what's great. Not just what's better, but what's best. That when we have a community that has deep affection for one another, that is living for this finish line of standing before Christ, who loves each other with all knowledge and discernment, what ends up happening is our lives produce things that are excellent, not mediocre. And he concludes and says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There it is again. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And, and he casts this vision of one day you're going to stand before Jesus, pure, blameless. But my prayer is that when you stand before Jesus, you'd be filled with fruit. The fruit of Christ. Not fruit that we can manufacture our own, but only fruit that Christ brings when we abide in him. The fruit maybe Paul is referring to is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But let's end this way. Close your eyes for a moment. There will be no day more glorious than when you stand before Jesus in your new, glorious, resurrected body. But as you stand before Christ... What fruit will you be bearing 
What fruit of righteousness will you be bearing? That you have grown in your time in the body. You know, that's what I love about this analogy of the fruit is for a tree to be truly fruitful, it takes a few decades. But I want you to just think about that. If you were to stand before Jesus today, what kind of fruit would, would you be bearing before him? And then maybe take that a little bit further. God only knows when our time is, but, but what other fruit do you want to bear before Jesus? When you one day stand before him. And may we live for those things. May we do everything that we do for that finish line. That glorious, amazing day where we get to stand before Jesus. And when seasons get hard or seasons get difficult, may we just remind ourselves, no, no, no. This is not the finish line. I will stand before Jesus and Jesus will honor my faithfulness to him through this hard season. Let me close by reading a verse and then praying it for us. Paul says this just two chapters later. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Father, would you stamp into our minds the day of Christ Jesus, this amazing day where you make all things new, this amazing day where your glory, you, you turn our lowly bodies into your glorious body, and one day we stand before you and we receive. We receive and are rewarded according to the ways that we lived in the flesh. And we acknowledge that any good or any righteousness that we walk in in the flesh, it is, it is you working in us and through us. But Lord, would you stir up our hearts to live for this finish line and this finish line alone? Would you make us a church that lives for this finish line and this finish line alone? Lord, give us open hearts to ask this question. What what fruits of righteousness are on my tree right now? Would you take us deeper, God, and speak to us and tell us each what future fruits of righteousness are you leading us into? A new calling, a new way to serve, a new attitude to have. We want to be filled with your righteousness, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.